iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Brothers, pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word, we want to publicly acknowledge that this is the word of the living God. It is God-breathed. It is an errant and infallible And Father, you are the supreme author of the word, therefore it's perfect. And Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Fill me with your spirit that I might preach in a manner that is pleasing in your sight. Lord, open our ears and our hearts to receive the word of God. Lord Jesus, so often in the gospels you said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Yet Father, may we not only be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. And let us worship you through the preaching of the word of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers, as we study the Psalms, we recognize there's many different classifications of Psalms. You know, going through those seminary classes on the Old Testament, we learned all the different types of Psalms. We think about what a few of those might be. We think about wisdom Psalms. For instance, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, those that focus on God's revelation in creation or through his word. We think about Messianic Psalms, like Psalm 22, that point us to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think about redemptive historical Psalms, like Psalm 136, Psalms where God focuses on his work through time, for instance, in the Exodus or even in creation. We remember the psalms of the mountaintop experiences, the hymns, hymns like Psalm 117 or Psalm 146, hymns that teach us to praise the Lord, to praise Yahweh. But we also remember the valleys like Psalm 51. I cry out to God for help when David cries out, Lord, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow and I can remember Dr. Belcher's words as he taught us in the the poets class on the Psalms that the Psalms take you through the whole spectrum of life from the high mountaintops to the to the low valleys and everything in between 
Well, brothers, today we're looking at Psalm 32. And Psalm 32 has the characteristics of both a penitential psalm and a thanksgiving psalm. As a penitential psalm, we see David seeking forgiveness for his own sins. But as a thanksgiving psalm, we see God taking David through a very difficult time only to bring David to the point of rejoicing and thanks to what God has done in his life. But brothers, before David reaches verse 11, before he reaches that point of rejoicing and being glad in what God has done, Psalm 32 teaches us that David goes through what I'm going to call a bitterness of soul. David has his own time of running from God. That he's stubborn like a mule. He hardens his heart. But this psalm teaches us that God never leaves David. And God takes David through what is described as an agonizing time of conviction. But he brings him to repentance. And brothers, David finds forgiveness in his God. This is certainly a psalm that describes the emotions, the journeys for many in the Christian life. Brothers, as we look at this psalm, I want you to see four major points today as we talk about the joy of forgiveness. The first point is simply that past bitterness comes before present blessedness. Secondly, I want you to see a promise that God gives us in verse 7. Third, the gracious response by God in verse 8 and 10. And then finally, David's gladness in God, his rejoicing. But let's look first at verses 1 through 5 and even verse 9 at a point I'm calling past bitterness comes before present blessedness. Before we dive into the text, I want to just share with you a personal story from my life. I came to know the Lord at a very young age, uh, 1983. But fast forward 17 years later, I was engaged. I was a month away from getting married to my, my lovely wife, Deirdre. She'll be here, I think, at lunchtime. I hope many of you can meet my, my wife. But about a month before we got married, brothers, I want you to know that God brought a personal conviction of sin on my life that I had never experienced before, ever. I felt the weight of my sin, both past sins and present. As verse 4 of this text says, God's hand was heavy upon me. And that lasted for about a nine-month period. I had Daryl read Acts chapter 2 this morning because I felt like those in Acts 2 because I, I was cut to the heart. I was on my face before the Lord, and the Holy Spirit was bringing truth and conviction in my life, and I will tell you, it was agonizing to go through. God's hand was heavy upon my mind and my body, night and day. It was constant. Some days I couldn't even get out of bed. I believe God was cleaning me out. He was taking me through a process of confession, of repentance that I had never been through before. Sleepless nights, early mornings, I was on my knees all the time. And I want you to know, at the time, I had no idea what was going on. I would say, why, was, why, is, 
Why, Lord, are you taking me through this even over a nine-month period? Now, looking back on that time, 19 years later, I can stand and tell you, I I believe I know some of the answers to that question, why God was doing that. First of all, I think he was preparing me for ministry. I think God wanted me to see how heinous sin is and how holy he is, first of all. You could also say as part of our personal sanctification, I needed to see what it really meant to have Jesus Christ not only as the Savior of my sins, but as the Lord of my life. I also think, and some of you know some of my story, I also think that God was actually preparing me to be around others in ministry who did not have a serious sense of the heinous reality of sin. And God was preparing me not to fall into sin that was ever present around me. But lastly, I can tell you, I think God did that to show me the beauty of his grace, the power of his mercy, and the fact that God would would see fit to save a wretch like me. Friends, I tell you that story because in much the same way, David finds himself under great conviction here in Psalm 32. You see that conviction detailed in verses like verse 4. If you look at the text, David says things like this. The Lord's hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. I was sapped like in the heat of summer. In a sense, you could also say David, he was cut to the heart. The Lord was convicting him of his own sin. But did you see what the Bible said before verse 4, back in verse 3. Because that's something that we all need to note as presbyters, as as elders. In verse 3, the Bible says, and David writes, for when I kept silent. You see, before David was brought to this point of repentance, the Bible says he kept silent. Initially, he was stubborn. He tried to dodge God. God was convicting him, but David delayed his repentance. He kept silent. And the Bible says that took a physical and a spiritual toll on David. Verse 3 says his bones were wasting away. He was groaning all day long. A reminder of verse 4, God's hand was heavy upon him. His strength was dried up. Brothers, we've seen this stubbornness in Scripture before, haven't we? We think about Jonah, the prophet Jonah, who had a clear call by God to go to Nineveh. But Jonah decided to be stubborn. He tried to dodge God. We know the story. He went his own way. But God didn't leave him either. God had to deal with Jonah, and Jonah found himself where? In the belly of a fish. Now, why would God do that to Jonah? Why would God put his heavy hand on David? Why would God put his heavy hand on me? It's because he loves me. He loved David. He loved Jonah. And God disciplines those he loves. He'll never let us go. 
And God, in this text, in Psalm 32, he was loving David by allowing David to experience this bitterness of soul and body that God's conviction took such a toll on him, he felt dried up. Brothers, my question for all of us today, has, has anything like this ever happened to you? Has the Lord ever had to deal with you in your own life concerning your sin? Is it happening now? If so, in the midst of that conviction, what was your response? Did you act like David and keep silent? Did you act like Jonah and run the other way? Friends, we all even have our sins within our sins of stubbornness. Well, brothers and sisters, for those in this condition, I want to point out One verse to us all, and that's verse 9. I love the practical language of verse 9. Listen to it once again. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Friends, if the Lord's conviction is upon you, and you find that you want to keep silent, where you find you want to run from God, hear this verse. Because what does this verse say? Don't be a mule. That's what it says. Don't be a mule. What do we know about mules? They're stubborn. We all know the phrase, stubborn as a mule. David clearly says, don't be a mule. If God's hand is heavy upon you, And you're keeping silent or you're trying to run the other way. You're being like a mule. You're being stubborn. You're doing your own own thing. And this is a lesson for us. Don't put off to tomorrow what God is calling us to today. If God's hand is heavy upon you, come to the Lord. Come in repentance to him. But friends, as we move forward, God, we see, finally has his way with David. God's conviction finally leads David to stop being silent, to stop being a mule. And verse 5 says, he acknowledges and confesses his sin. Verse 5, once again, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God had done a long, hard work on David to bring him to this point. And after this long physical and spiritual toil, after acting like a mule, David confessed. And the good news for David is that God forgave him. Because God is able and he's ready to forgive It reminds us of verses like 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is the forgiveness, friends, that David received, that I've received. And if you are in Christ Jesus today, that you have received. As Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yet it's at this point we back up even further in the text to verses 1 and 2. You know, as we all know, there's something very special going on in this text in verses 1 and 2. 
As Daryl read just a moment ago from Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul picks up the first two verses of this psalm and he puts them into the New Testament. And who does he apply them to? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord counts no iniquity against us. And as Romans 4 teaches us, that's all because of Jesus Christ. Brothers, as we meet four times a year, as we examine men for licensure, for ordination, usually every time that happens, they're asked this question. What is justification? And we hear their answers and we, we're listening for those key words. But brothers, listen to this definition. A new and a fresh as you think about what Christ Jesus has done for you in justification. Think through this as I say it. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Wherein he pardoneth all of our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us to receive by faith alone. I remember Dr. Kara teaching this in Pauline epistles. And he called it the great exchange. That on one side you have the sinner and the other side you have the Savior. Yet the sins of the sinner are charged, imputed, are reckoned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ died for our sins on the cross. But the righteousness of the Savior, which he merited, can now be charged, imputed, reckoned back to the sinner, received by faith, that we might be justified freely by God's grace. Isn't that a beautiful, wonderful doctrine? Not only of justification, but of forgiveness of sins. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, has done for us. We ask the question, why doesn't the Lord account our sins against us? The answer, because they've been accounted to Jesus. Verse 1, you see two, two words in verse 1, forgiven and covered. Friends, why are our sins forgiven? Because they've been imputed to Christ. Why are our sins covered? Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And right here in verse 1, David shows us the blessedness of being forgiven by God. That God does not count iniquity against us. Ultimately, because he counted it against his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And even though David started with bitterness of soul, he started with being stubborn as a mule, keeping silent. God took him through that agonizing journey. And the grace of God was the result in his blessedness. Our second point today is the promise Look back at verse 7. You are my hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. The emphasis is on God. There is a promise here that God will be the hiding place. That is the place of preservation and safety for the believer. Concerning this verse, Spurgeon said it this way, I, have a, I as a sinner have taken shelter in his love, in his compassion. I have been covered by the robe of 
his righteousness. And now, therefore, I am safe. We think about all the New Testament verses that speak of Christ and his sheltering love and promise towards us. We think about things like Romans 8, where nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We think about Galatians 4, where God says, I'm taking you and adopting you into my family. You are no longer a slave. You're a son. You're a child of the king. I'm your hiding place, God says. John chapter 10, when the Lord Jesus Christ says to his sheep, you are in my hand. Nothing can, you cannot escape from being in my hand. I will never let you go. You shall never perish. What a shelter God is. What a hiding place. Even 1 John 4 says that we can know right here, right now, that we have eternal life. Friends, God is our hiding place. Well, that brings us to our third point. God's gracious response. Look at verse 8 and verse 10. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. What an amazing response by God. He had brought David through this agonizing time. And he teaches him, once he came to repentance, he teaches him, David, I'm now going to instruct you, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to guide you. Brothers, we think about those, those verbs. What's the main way we could say that the Lord instructs us and teaches us? Is it not his word? That God has given us 66 books where we can see his plan, his will in our lives. We think about verses like 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 3, that all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, ready for every good work, fully equipped. It's a reminder to us as elders, as pastors, to be in the Word of God in our own lives daily with our families, that we might be instructed and taught and guided by God through His Word. Yet God also guides us with His Holy Spirit. We think about texts like John 14, when the Lord Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Brothers, isn't it a blessing to know that we're never alone? That God is always with us and that the spirit of truth will guide us into truth as we love and obey God in this life. And verse 10 reminds us that God's love surrounds us all the time. Steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. What an amazing response by God. So let's take a step back, shall we? And just kind of review everything that's happened up to this point in the psalm. David is saying to us, 
even though I was silent and stubborn like an old mule, God never left me. God kept convincing me and convicting me of my sin. Yes, he had to put his heavy hand on me. Yes, I felt dried up, but he did that only because he loves me. And God brought me to the point of acknowledgement, of confession of my sin, and then he forgave me. Because ultimately, as we know, our sins have been imputed to Christ, his righteousness has been imputed to us, and God is faithful and just to forgive. And now, God is saying, I am your shelter, I am your safety, I'm your hiding place. And I will walk with you and instruct you and teach you and counsel you. The text even says, I will guide you with my eye. And friends, it's as if David is saying, you know, I once experienced the heavy hand of God. God had to bring me down before I could even be brought up. And because of what I've been through, now in my life, I should be much more responsive to his gentler touch. That when God counsels me and instructs me, when I read his word, I should learn. I shouldn't be stubborn like the mule anymore. God shouldn't have to put a bit and bridle in my mouth to bring me to where I'm supposed to be. I should listen to the Lord. I should trust the Lord. Yes, I should obey the Lord. Trust and obey. Here at Redeemer right now, we're going through a series on the book of James. We started chapter 3 this past week. But think back with me about James chapter 1, specifically verse 22. What does the Bible say? Do not merely be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Brothers, we all know there's a big difference between hearing and doing. They're together in one verse, but living them out could be far apart. Let us never be ones who just hear the word and don't do the word, because as James says, we're deceiving ourselves. The true believers are going to hear and obey. But for David, in that gap, he decided to keep silent. Jonah decided to run. Brothers, what are we going to do? Let's learn. Don't be a mule. Don't put off till tomorrow what God is calling you to today. Because that brings us to our fourth point, our final point, verse 11. Gladness in God. See, at the end of the day, David was glad in his Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David had considered and pondered the depth of his sin. But he also had learned the forgiveness of God. That he was justified by grace through faith. And what did that lead him to do? To rejoice. To be glad. His sins were forgiven. God did not count his iniquity against him. And he praised the Lord. And brothers, that's right where we need to be. The psalm leads us to praise, gladness in God. So as we close this morning, 
questions for every single one of us, including this preacher, to consider. Today is the, hand, is the heavy hand of God in your heart and in your life. And if so, are you running like Jonah? Are you delaying like David? Is there sin today that's causing God's heavy hand to be upon you, maybe with your wife or your children, maybe with another elder, maybe with a church member? Is God cleaning you out? Is he preparing you to serve him better with your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind? If this is you, don't delay like David. Don't run like Jonah. Don't be a mule. Be a hearer and a doer of the word. Acknowledge and confess. Why? Because God is ready to forgive your sin. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. If God's hand is heavy upon you, know there is pardon. God is able and ready to deliver you. Your sins will not be held against you, for they have been imputed to Christ. And know that God is willing to come alongside you to walk with you, to instruct you, to guide you, even with his eye. His Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. You can stand and rejoice with David, as in verse 11 of this text. Today, brothers, we can know the blessedness of forgiveness. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, So many times when we're going through a difficult time, when your hand is heavy upon us, when we feel all dried up, it's an agonizing time. But Lord, may we hear the scriptures today and learn from them to not be stubborn like a mule. To not be hearers without being doers. To not delay. To not run. But to come to the feet of Christ. Casting your cares upon you. Jesus, you said come to me. And not only will we find forgiveness at the cross. But Lord, we'll have a Lord And God, who instructs us, who teaches us, who guides us with his eye. And at the end of the day, may we all stand and say how glad we are that you are our God. How great you are. We rejoice that you are our Lord. Bless the rest of the service as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.